Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. We pride ourselves on being nonpartisan on this podcast. We are progressive in our viewpoints, and we make no illusions about it. However, we never shy away from someone from the opposite viewpoint to us. We think polite, thoughtful discourse makes not only this podcast better, but our political discourse in this country in general. Which is why our attention became centered on a new group seeking to hold municipal governments accountable across Canada. Municipal Watch is a self-described nonpartisan organization seeking to root out corruption, fiscal mismanagement, and to hold municipal governments accountable to us, the people. All of which sounds good and ideal on the surface. However, we have heard this refrain before. The issues surrounding municipal governments are complex and diverse. Toronto is not Hamilton, and Hamilton is not Oshawa, and Oshawa is not Newmarket. You get my point. Our cities in the 905 are not a one-size-fits-all case, especially in light of recent changes in municipal powers by the Ontario PC government in Bill 23, as well as the creation of strong mayor powers. So how would this grassroots watchdog organization work to root out corruption? We had a lot of questions about how this group would work, their priorities, and what were they hoping to accomplish in the long term. So we reached out to them and invited their founder to the podcast. Surprisingly, they said yes. Stella Ambler is the founder and president of Municipal Watch. She was also the conservative MP for Mississauga South between 2011 and 2015, a Brampton City Council candidate in 2006, as well as a former PC staff member at Queen's Park and has worked in the Leader of the Opposition's office in Ottawa under Andrew Shear. She currently resides in Simcoe County, and as well, it should be noted that she is the first Conservative Party member to join us here on the 905er. We welcome her today. Well, uh, thank you to uh, Stella Ambler of Municipal Watch uh, for coming on to the podcast. Uh, thank you, uh, Stella, for taking the time to, to join us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so your organization is quite new. Um, we, we discovered you, uh, by listening to, uh, uh, the pointers podcast. What's the point, uh, one, uh, one afternoon and we invite you on it. And I, cause you're so new, I imagine a lot of our listeners have no idea what you're about. They don't know what this organization does. Why can't, can you just tell us what, what is municipal watch and why did you create this organization, uh, uh, from, from the start? Thanks for starting there. I, I appreciate that. Uh, to be able to start at the beginning is exactly what I had in mind. Um, mainly, I guess, because uh, I had been just recognizing how massive this level of government is and how really little attention is paid to it. Um, you know, there, there, I found that um, when I was a member of parliament, there is opposition built into the system at the federal level, the provincial level. Um, you know, there's a question period every day. It's covered by the media. Uh, everyone knows what it is. Uh, and if they know, if they want to hear, know what politicians are talking about, they go not only to the government, but they, but they look at what the opposition is making hay about. And I found that, and so this happens, of course, across Canada and provincial legislatures as well. And I found that it really isn't happening so much at the municipal level, that um, that municipal councillors, uh, there's really nothing built into the system. And if they almost have to be their own opposition, which is really impossible to do. And sometimes if you're sitting around a, a council table, and I've seen this uh, in my municipality, in Simcoe County, but also uh, elsewhere in bigger cities across Canada, that sometimes uh, uh, the councillors form a bit of a bubble, or they um, uh, they just bounce ideas off each other, and they're just not really um, hearing from ordinary citizens who have very ordinary concerns, um, which are ordinary but very important. As so I, I just thought there was a, a great need for it, um, for that level of scrutiny, oversight at this level of government. Um, on your what? I, I'm just going to follow up that, like, say on on your website, 
you you tote yourself as a grassroots nonpartisan uh, organization. Um, and for our listeners who are who do uh, live in Mississauga, they no doubt know that you were a conservative MP uh, from Mississauga South uh, back uh, back in the day. I wonder if you could just like can you kind of give us listeners like what where did where did the nonpartisan bona fides uh, come from? Like who who's making up this organization? Kind of where your funding's coming from? Kind of give us like kind of the kind of pull back the curtain a bit on sure. on how, how you guys work. Yeah, lots of questions there. I'll say that um, first of all, I, I certainly wouldn't want to hide my conservative credentials, and I couldn't if I tried. Uh, so. <laughs> So it's, I've been in politics a long time, like uh, 37, I think this is my 38th year of active uh, uh, politicking. And so I couldn't, uh, so so I can't deny that. But, um, and so, so to say that, uh, that Municipal Watch is, is um, uh, nonpartisan, I think can be uh, squared with the fact that being um, uh, being conservative, I think in this case means that uh, we're, I'm looking out for taxpayers. I want transparency and mainly common sense. So, uh, sure, do my small C conservative um, spidey senses come into play all the time, um, all the time? But I think that, but that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of liberals supporting what we do or. Um, uh, New Democrats or or people who aren't identified uh, affiliated with any party, just people who want kind of common sense government at the municipal level. Uh, in terms of supporters, I am uh, I knew that it would actually not be all that difficult to find supporters. There are people out there who uh, also agreed that there is a need for this. And they wanted, uh, when I told them that I was thinking about doing this, they said, yeah, like, you know what? I'm individuals and businesses who said, yeah, I'll, I'll give you some money for that. Yeah, I don't mind uh, I don't mind pitching in. Uh, that seems like a good thing. And if we all benefit. Um, so so that, that group of people is growing and I'm finding new people every day who are willing to, to, to make donations and to fund this effort, but it really is grassroots. And what will you actually be doing? I mean, apart from I mean, obviously, there's the, the media aspect coming onto podcasts, and and uh, you know whoever will help get your message out there. But municipal watch, I mean, what 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 are you watching, and and, and what 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 will you be producing by way of of uh, actions, if you like? Right. Um, yeah, show me the money. That's Roland's question. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, also a good question. Uh, so I, I actually like to start, mainly the idea is to shine a light. And so to make folks aware you know, in Halifax that something is happening in Vancouver and that, you know, if we don't stop what's going on there, it might happen in, in your city. Uh, so a lot, there's, there's, there's part of that uh, where I thought that a coordinated effort was needed. And in terms of what we're going to do, I'm, I'm hoping to use many, many tools um, uh, as a, as a former politician, elected official myself, I know, I know what, um, what makes politicians sit up and take notice. And so sometimes it's, um, uh, you know, sometimes it's a, a petition. Sometimes it's a, it's just a presentation to council. Um, at other times, it might be a social media campaign, letter, even an old-fashioned letter writing campaign. You ne- you never know really what uh, each individual, uh, each campaign I think will be individual and focused in a different way on achieving the outcome that we're looking for. So, I mean. So let's have some examples then. I mean, you, you've said, you know, you've used the phrase sort of municipal madness. Um, let's have some examples. Uh, give us some cities that are doing mad things right now in terms of either spending or, or whatever it is they're up to. Okay, well, there are so many, uh, but I certainly, um, and they just really run the gamut. But um, just to give you an example, um, in Mississauga, where I used to serve, they spent, um, I think it was $130,000 to look into the renaming of Dundas Street. 
And um, uh, so uh, they they found that it would the cost would be approximately one point eight million dollars. That's a lot of money. Apparently, ten people in from the city inquired about you know sent an e- emails or phoned in to their counselor and asked, "Hey, what's going to be done about this?" renaming of Dundas, let's rename Dundas, or or maybe even will you rename Dundas? I'm not sure the what the 10 inquiries actually, um, the, the content of them was. Uh, but um, uh, f- for those 10 inquiries, potentially $1.8 million will be spent. And that does not include the homes and businesses that will be affected. And so even if the city spends $1.8 million, like wh- wh- where does it end? Are you really, are you asking those businesses to um, to make those changes to their, to their uh, business, uh, to their way of doing business? I mean, it's, some people might say, oh, it's no big deal to change business cards and invoices and websites and whatever else needs to be changed. Uh, but, you know, these are small things that can really, um, that are, I would say, misguided at best, and and uh, and they don't really. I don't think. Uh, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth the money. Okay, but I, I'm familiar with, somewhat with the with the the that, with the example that you just gave. The reason yeah. why the, the Messiah was talking about changing Dundas was because uh, there's the historical connotations with the person that's right. named after. So. Well, yeah, I can understand the the, the fiscal costs of changing it is something that has to be taken into consideration. There's more to it than just pure dollars and cents. There are people who who would argue that the street shouldn't have been named Dundas in the first place uh, because of the individual that it was named after. And I think that's why the city of Messiah was investigating it. Now, I get, so I got my question comes is like, like th- this, it's in politics. You know, there's like politics isn't just a strict numbers and cents thing. This sure. is there, there were there were people in the community who said, We don't like this, we haven't liked this name ever, we don't like it now, we won't like it in the future. Change it. So how do you how do you how do you equate like oh. the, the needs of those people and some and some businesses say, Well, my it's gonna be an inconvenience for me to change my my name my my name or my address on my letterhead, et cetera. Uh, it was 70, 7,500 inconvenienced homes, people and businesses. Um, uh, so first of all, uh, I mean, not to go down that whole rabbit hole, but um, uh, uh, apparently Toronto's even backing down a bit on the Dundas Street renaming, mm-hmm. because as it turns out, the uh, the history isn't quite as black and white as, as we were originally led to believe. Ha- having said that, um, I would say... A lot, a number of cities in Europe have have uh, have adopted the, I think they call it re, remain, retain, and explain uh, model, which saves a lot of money and it involves um, um, giving the history of uh, the, of the naming of the street and saying, you know, this is what the situation was then. It's not that now, but. Um, you know, here's, here's, uh, you know, here's the history. Uh, and, you know, we won't do it again type of thing, mm-hmm. but it's a lot cheaper. And frankly, just a lot better. Well, uh, yeah, but they're a couple of years ahead of us, aren't they? I, I bet that the study that came up with the retain and the retain and whatever, you know, the historic, right. let's find a way to, 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 to balance everybody's the, the, the different needs of the people who find right. a name objectionable and the, the need yeah. to, uh, well, I hate the to cost call road change. names. Do what's right. Yeah, do what's yeah. You want to do what's right. Find the balance. I bet yeah. that cost more than one hundred thirty thousand dollars. That will have been that, that will have gone through councils and it will have been discussed over years. And it just so happens that there are a few further years down the road than we are. Yeah. And uh, you know that in politics, there's not much you can do more than getting out of bed in the morning that doesn't cost about one hundred thirty thousand because everything <laughs> the government does gets billed at the highest dollar by any whoever is you're hiring to to do the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, listen, the problem is more that they, um, the problem is more that uh, these expenditures never really, they never end there. There's never an end point. Um, uh, and, and there's always uh, uh, some new, a new department that started 
um, and and new employees added to the payroll uh, for basically. Uh, I mean, for uh, city city like Burlington is constantly struggling, and actually Hamilton's struggling on the same thing at the moment. They're struggling to get staff because they don't have enough money to to pay what people want to be paid. Uh, they're not able to compete on the job market. So you're saying, you know, and I know, say, the planning department in, well, actually every municipality in Ontario, the planning department is understaffed. Uh, they cannot afford to pay the staff they need to get through the workload that they have. Um, is, is, is that waste? And that's probably the most important thing that every city does is handle planning and zoning and, yeah. and, and dealing with all um, that stuff. I, that has not been my experience. I don't think that's the case in Mississauga. Uh, in fact, I'm doing a little side uh, research on this. Uh, in fact, and the and I'm hoping I'm hoping to release it soon. So I'll I'll, I'll come back to you and I'll send it to you when I do. Uh, I, I'll certainly post my my findings. And uh, what I'm looking into is the past five years uh, growth in full time employment at um, in uh, however many cities I can. Uh, I, I have the time to look at. Um, I've done about 20 or so so far, and the growth in the last five years has, generally speaking, and I, I can say this without having um, fully analyzed the numbers just yet, but the growth is not commensurate with population growth. So I, I, I hadn't heard that that's happening in Burlington. Uh, and it's, as I say, it has not been my experience in Mississauga. Um, they They pay pretty well in Mississauga, and I think what happens when people take jobs with cities and towns there, other than maybe the top job or the top two or three jobs, they're, they're in there for life and, and a pension. I think yeah, there's definitely one thing we can agree on and that there are all kinds of systemic problems that in municipalities, uh, uh, you'll get no argument from us here. We've been, you know, it's, that's probably one of the two big topics that, we, that we've dealt with on here the, the last two years. I guess uh, I would say, you know, when you go immediately for the taxation angle, um, you know, I came from a country where I paid far more in municipal taxes than I do here, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, the, the, the increase is usually, you know, in Halton, it's been like 1.5, 2%, 3%, depending how you define it as city or, or region, uh, and the two get lumped together. Um, Obviously, now we're dealing with a, with a, uh, a high inflation uh, uh, um, sort of world, and it is a world that the world is now facing. You know, much higher fl- inflation than we've dealt with for decades and decades. Uh, that's going to have an impact, and we're dealing with a province that has just taken away uh, through several acts uh, some some key funding, some key sort of revenue generating avenues yeah. for the cities. Uh, so it's a bit rich now to having seen all of that to then say, oh, my God, this is outrageous. They're increasing our taxes. And so what, what the hell else are they supposed to do? I mean, how, how do you answer that point? Yeah. Uh, well, I'd say the average person is tightening their belts and and that's what municipalities should be doing, too. So when the city of Mississauga uh, passes a budget with a three percent increase and pass themselves on the back for that. Uh, those of us who lived in Peel region know that that's just the city portion. And then we'll also be paying the 2.8% Peel portion as well. That's not one or one and a half percent. That's 5.8 compounded if they do it again next year and the year after and the year after. Listen, I don't want to be, I don't want to be all about, this isn't all about taxes either, but you know, Edmonton was, they proposed, there was a city staff proposed a 7% increase they got it down to four, um, which is still ridiculous. Um, the city of I think, August, I think Vaughan is talking about much higher numbers than that. I thought it was Vaughan. He's Goldberry. He's talking a hundred. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're saying. I mean, we have cities saying we are, we are in financial crisis now because our traditional uh, revenue generating, you know, uh, development fees are basically what we've been basing our books on. And by the way, they shouldn't have done that. that that's something that you could highlight, that that's a Ponzi yeah. scheme, how they've been building their finances on growth. But nevertheless, the province has taken that way, and they're like, oh, my God. Um, yeah. So again, not really their fault. Um, they've had this thrown on them with no consultation, with, with, with absolutely zero kind of involvement from, from yeah. the province. Uh, and, well, 
let's address that point and then the, the, sure. the agreed completely when when the cities complain that um they need those development uh, fee i would i agree i think the developers are just going to pass it down to the consumer anyway do we really think that they're going to build these houses and actually deduct the cost of the development fee and no they're going to take it they're they're going to say oh what a windfall we've just found uh totally get that i i agree with you there um uh, I've never heard the words Ponzi scheme to use uh, in in relation to, but uh, could be it's fitting. Actually, not mine. Uh, uh, if you look at the Strong <laughs> Towns website, they've been calling it a Ponzi scheme. Same, same as uh, okay. the website, uh, YouTube channel, not uh, not just bikes. the The idea was basically that cities build build a neighborhood. Yeah. The that it gets sold off, and then to pay for the infrastructure costs, the sewer, the hydro, all that stuff that they now have to pay to maintain, they need to go build a new subdivision. To basically pay off the one that they just had built right. and that's essentially the story of sprawl the 905 that's how like mississauga and brampton vaughn richmond hill markham all of our cities in the 905 were built out was this idea like oh we just built this great new subdivision yippee oh we got to pay for all that sewer not sewer lines now build another subdivision and now we're kind of at the point where we say this model doesn't we've, we've kind of hit the limit of what this model can deliver for taxpayers uh and ratepayers in in its cities um oh yeah always one behind exactly and, uh, i, I want to just maybe take a step back from the the taxation angle and that when i want to kind of focus back on, on your organization because i think i'm wondering like do you think you might have bitten off too much to chew on this project most because the municipal structures vary drastically across this country um you know, just in the 905 alone, Mississauga and Hamilton are not M Milton and they're not uh, like Halton Hills and they're not Lincoln uh, uh, Township. Um, I mean, none of them would, they would, none of them would be compared to a city, say, like Toronto. Uh, just alone. And so I'm wondering, how, how, do you, how do you balance that? How do you balance like the needs of a small town trying to pay for road paving Compared to a say, say Mississauga or Hamilton, that might be looking and saying, "We want to build a, um, we want to see about financing a major stadium project or a major infrastructure project to more parklands or or a, a mall mall development or or whatever have you." Uh, I'm just like spitballing here. How, how, are you, how are you going to balance that? There is no question that the problems are. Uh, the challenges, the issues are all over the map. Um, and they run the gamut from corruption to policies and programs. Uh, and so I actually did think of that about this before I started. Should I limit it? I knew that if I did limit the scope of uh, Municipal Watch, that I would always want to be pushing the boundaries and that someone in... Saskatchewan would hear about something happening in Markham and say, hey, that's happening, or some version of that is happening here. So I didn't want to limit myself. You're absolutely right. It's a lot to bite, to bite off. And I'm I'm noticing that even right now, because as as I struggle to keep up with the phone calls and the emails and all the stories I'm I'm hearing. But I think I'd rather have that problem than the problem of um, artificially limiting myself um, and and the organization. Uh, so I know that at some point I'll be at certain times I will be against uh, behind the eight ball and maybe not doing as as well as I should uh, sh shining a light on this or that. But I'd like to be able to um, to to pick out the issues and the and the the happenings, the municipal the examples of municipal madness. Uh, without having to to limit myself, and so, and as I said earlier, there there are situations, there are things happening in certain municipalities that, if Municipal Watch is successful at shining that light and bringing that transparency, uh, uh, then then I hope that other municipalities will say, "Oh, wait a minute, um, maybe it's not such a good idea if we do that," and so that's. That was also part of my argument for for keeping it as big as possible because uh, so so I'll, I'll just give you another drill down again on another example and that's 
I, I talk about the fire trucks in Vancouver that pump 40% less water, the, uh, sorry, the electric fire trucks that were purchased in Vancouver that, per, that, that are 40% less effective in fighting fires. And so, you know, if uh, it may, might be too late to stop that, um, uh, stop them from buying those, but, but on other municipalities across the country might look at that and say, you know, I don't want my residents complaining to me that if their house is on fire, we, you know, there will be 40% less effective at putting out the fire because that, you know, that speaks to a lot of things, but not, not just public safety, but, but the, the importance of service delivery and, and sticking to your sandbox in the, at the municipal level. And, and I have talked to counselors actually current and former and, um, one of them in particular said, said, he's actually from the 905, said to me that not a week goes by when uh, that some other level of government doesn't encourage them to do, uh, to put out some kind of proclamation stating that they are for this or against that. Um, and he said, most of the time, it had, it has nothing to do with, you know, Garbage pickup, emergency, you know, EMS, uh, water, uh, roads, transit, libraries, yeah. all of the things that they really should be um, focused on. And and there isn't enough time in the day for the average counselor to do all those things. It's these are important things that affect people's lives every day. And so why are they spending their own time at council debating? Why are they spending staff time uh, to research all of this? when um you know it's it's not something they should be doing anyway i found that interesting to hear from an actual counselor who said i I tell you what you're not going to find it hard to find counselors who tell you the stuff that happens at council is crazy uh most of them will agree with you on that as i say we would totally agree with you that yeah yeah. the the only problem is defining your personal crazy and it's like you use that phrase right back at the start common sense And and i always have a kind of problem with when we talk about you know common sense ordinary people say it's like well my common sense and my ordinary people who i think are pretty ordinary um think this and there's a whole bunch of other people who are just as ordinary as i am uh, i don't think i'm anything special who think something fundamentally different we both think well obviously this is the case and then when you do a little bit of digging you find that it's not quite as simple and obvious as you thought along. And the real problem with our politics is these days is that everything is always simplified down to a soundbite and a, oh my God, it's mad. They're spending gazillions on something. And then you do a little bit of digging. It's like, no, that's not true. That's not accurate. They've got those facts wrong. Um, you know, these stories happen all the time and that they great, make great headlines and they'll, they'll, they'll They'll make great podcasts for people who who probably have more popular podcasts than we do because we don't do that stuff. Um, But it's like we have a duty as people who are either reporting on it or people who are involved in politics or people who are saying that we need better oversight of these institutions to not sensationalize, but to do that extra bit of digging. I mean, let's go back to the Dundas thing. And I'm not going to... I have no opinion about it. I, well, I can see all kinds of things, and it's just one of those stories that just make I just wish didn't exist. Anyway, Dundas story. There are undoubtedly thousands upon thousands of people who think just even talking about it is a waste of time. Spending any money of it is a waste of money. There are also a large number of people who think it's really important that we don't honor former slavers or whatever. And Dundas wasn't a slaver, and I know. Uh, and, and there's people who think, well, regardless of what the population thinks, we need to uh, show a little bit more respect to the First Nations. You know, wouldn't it be nice not to have someone who they associate with? Some, um, so it's never that simple, is it? I mean, you say, well, obviously, this is crazy. And then you do that tiny little extra step of, of research. And it's like, well, well, actually, no, I see their point of view. And isn't that what we need more than anything in politics right now? The ability to see someone else's point of view and go, oh, well, yeah, okay. I wouldn't have thought it was an important thing for me, but I see why it's important for someone else. Right. I mean, that's a very long question. 
Where do no, you go no, with that? I, I, I completely, I get what you're asking. And I, I know, I know that when I was an, uh, an elected official, these were um, considerations that I had to um, balance every day. And, and um, ta- talking about sensationalizing, I think there's maybe it's a spectrum, you know, sensationalizing, shining a light. It's all part of the same thing. And if sometimes you do need to make a little bit of noise to to get people to realize that this is happening in their own city and town or in the neighboring uh, municipality. Um, But I guess the way I look at it is um, uh, that a lot of these roads that are paved with good intentions um, are, are sometimes... Um, they look good on the surface. And when you scratch the surface, you realize that they're, they're really, um, there's, they, they are accomplishing something, but uh, it's not usually benefiting the person who doesn't have a voice. And people who, I try to always think of the people who don't have voices, the ones who are not elected, the ones who don't understand the system, the ones who never appear on podcasts or whatever, and who are just trying to earn a living, put food on the table, and pay the rent or the mortgage. Um, and you know, will will that person who is really who feels powerless, who is for all intents and purposes powerless, am I speaking for that person? Um, and, uh, uh, because I, I really think that sometimes municipal councillors might lose sight of that. Uh, and, and frankly, if you didn't get into municipal politics to talk about potholes, stop signs, libraries, and police funding or whatever, that's actually a bigger deal, but, you know, but those are all really important things. And um, if you neglect those duties to talk about things that are the purview of other levels of government or that really don't benefit that person who, um, who doesn't have a voice, that's, that's really what I'm hoping to, to call out. I, I see, I, I understand the point there, but I guess our, our, our point of, our thoughts are, I mean, these, these things are always so complicated. Like you, you're, we're talking cities with you know, 500, 700, 800, a million people all living there, and they all not all of them are all unanimously agreeing. From what I mean, from what we've read about your the from your website and and what you've published so far, and kind of our conversation so far, I I think your focus is indeed small c conservative in terms of tax dollars and how it's being spent, and that's being spent wisely and responsibly, which I think we everyone listening can agree. Um, can agree like that that's important that's that's the, i think the first role of government is to make sure that money is being spent properly and and responsibly the question though and that, i think this is where it comes into this is the, the 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 this is where the the drama happens is where is that where's that responsibility you know wh- what's that what does that look like and I, I we were talking about the the dundas example i'm not going to talk about that but i was thinking a perfect example in hamilton was the there's a johnny mcdonald statue in Gore Park, that it was entirely a municipal responsibility. It's not provincial or federal or anything else. And there was a big debate on whether or not to keep it up or take tear it down. Um, like that, those are those are the things that that municipal councils have to step in and say at one point, keep it up, leave it, leave it up, take it down, throw a tarp over it, whatever the case may be. Um, so I guess my question is like, where, where would you, where would you, how how would your your organization wade into this debate? Because I can understand people saying, "Well, I don't want to spend money to take it down." I'm also understanding a lot of people are saying they find the statue offensive, and we can't negate those opinions. We may not agree with it, but we I mean, we can't ignore it. And I'm wondering, like, how how does your organization walk that fine line to say to to measure the uh, municipal government's response to that. Yeah, and you're right. A lot of, there aren't many issues today that are uncomplicated. Um, you know, if life were straightforward, it would be easy to be an elected official. And 
I, I really do have the utmost respect for anyone um, who puts their name on a ballot. I mean, I've like it, it, enormous respect. I've done it myself. I know that I know that they everyone goes into it wanting to be um, uh, an agent of positive change. They they want to do they they go into it for good reasons. Um, uh, but so so yes, sometimes they have to make tough decisions, and and ra rarely is are one hundred percent of the residents on one side or the other. Um, so I guess my my um, uh, criteria would always be: are they are they putting people first? Are they is this going to improve the quality of life of the people they represent? So. I mean, you know, I, I am. Uh, I, I wish we hadn't gone down the the rabbit hole of the political correctness stuff and the statues and the street street names. Although I brought it up, I recognize that um, my fault. Um, but I will say, uh, you know, there are there are issues that again are also within the purview of municipal governments, where uh, you know they they've just been total catastrophes. And I, mm -hmm. now I'm thinking about the Ottawa LRT as an example. Okay. So uh, probably a better example of just com complete mismanagement eventually ended up in a public inquiry. Um, even earlier this year, shut down because of freezing rain on the on the lines. Um, like, can you imagine a transit system in Canada that's shut down because it's cold? Well, on that on that note, I mean, here in the 905, Hamilton is talking. They're going to be breaking ground on an LRT. So, how 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 would your? I mean, the the agreement has been made. The funding has been signed over from the federal government. The province is on board to fund it. Um, I believe the municipality is sorted out. How would how would your organization approach that project going forward? I mean, it it will it looks like it will be built. So yeah, well, I I first of all I would say to those councillors in Hamilton, please read the report that I read um, about what happened in Ottawa, where there were so many issues. It, it reads like I, I mean honestly, it's it's even it's hard to it's hard to imagine that so much went wrong. Mm -hmm. Everything from computer glitches to door faults to. Um, uh, in the construction phase, there were um, uh, derailments, uh, or sorry, that was, I guess, after right after, maybe that was in the testing phase, or I think even when it first opened, it was down. Um, they, uh, there were lawsuits, oh, sinkholes, there was mm -hmm. a section on sinkholes. Um, so uh, I just, I, I guess I would say, look, um, let's be cautious. Let's um, please Hamilton. Look at what happened in Ottawa. Learn lessons from that. Um, speak to the people in. Uh, speak to the people in Ottawa. Uh, read the entire account of the public inquiry and and take those recommendations seriously. Uh, okay. If there were any, I actually don't know if there were any. Have but. you Have you looked at KW's uh, LRT project? I have not. Tell me about it. It's. Well, I mean, it, it was the same issue. People were against it. People were were angry that money was being spent on it. It was a tax. It was a horrible, horrible decision, a waste of tax dollars. How dare they? They're going to inconvenience all of us. This is the stupidest idea ever. Region went ahead and built it, and it is a roaring success. Uh, it is well used. It is. They've expanded it. I have seen it myself. I've not yet ridden it, but I've seen it. I have friends and family still in KW. Uh, who say, yeah, it was a fight. It was a slog. It was every grassroots organization came out against it. But in the end, the region went ahead and pushed forward to get it built. And now that it's up and running, it is a success. It is a fundamental part of that region's transit system. Uh, my understanding is that it is funded. It, 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 it operates well. It's well used. And it, it has, it's a, I mean, it's not without. It's not, I'm not going to say it's run perfectly, but I mean, a lot of people are using turning to that as a success story of in terms of LRT development. Like we should be exporting to other municipalities across the country. 
Good, good. Well, I hope that both Mississauga and Hamilton will will take a page oh, from Kitchener's book then. And, we've and, been saying uh, that for years. <laughs> <laughs> there you so, go. Uh, we've just got a few minutes left. Uh, there's two two things I think we we really we have to address before before we die. And the first one is is the province. I mean, I say we would agree on a huge amount number of things, uh, and the key one being that there are massive systemic problems with how municipalities work. I guess my difference of opinion would be. I see them as systemic with the design of the system that, that the, the, the design creates bad results. Uh, it creates the wrong kind of people being elected. It creates those people staying in office for decades and decades with very little oversight and being re-elected with massive majorities. Pick examples from recent history in Hamilton if you want to do you know, evidence of that. Um, uh, but all those things are actually not in the municipalities, municipalities power to fix. They're actually the province's responsibility, and it's all in the municipal act. Um, and yet, you know, fair's fair. This is a very non-partisan statement because the liberals were in office for however long and did nothing about it. And now we've had four, five years, five years of uh, of uh, a PC government doing absolutely nothing about it. And if anything, I would say making the situation a whole lot worse. Um, particularly with the strong mayor suggestion, uh, so-called strong mayor, which are not strong mayor suggestions, but anyway. Um, uh, well, strong, strong mayor, not good, not good for democracy, though, is it? Well, not when you have you know minority vote winning a vote. I mean, that seems kind of you know broken, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, stickler of the partisan stuff, but isn't the real problem with municipalities and the thing that needs to be watched and fixed and needs to have it, 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 its uh, um, to ha- be kind of raised and made a, a major issue is the need for fundamental reform at the provincial level of the Municipal Act? That's an excellent question. So I try, uh, I try there's, there, they are creatures of the province, municipalities. And I hate to say that, it sounds like I'm talking about, you know, vermin or something, but. Um, but it's in the constitution, I, so it's just the way it is. Yeah. Right, that's it, this is how it works. So um, all I can say, all I will say to that is that um, the, 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 Ontario, the Ontario government should not be an impediment to the municipalities doing their job. And we can point to, I can point to a number of recent examples where that's exactly what they're doing. And um, they're not making it easy for municipalities. Um, so give us those examples. Uh, that the um, the development fees, I think, is is a bit well. That and the strong mayors are the two big, biggest examples. The whole um, uh, Bill Twenty Three, like this, is uh, you know, uh, I do feel for municipalities when um, you know they they're getting the rug pulled out from under them on that. And there are other ways that we could address uh, affordable housing housing shortage rather than um, uh, taking away. Uh, the development fees, and so that's a big one. That's obviously a big one. Um, and the strong, the strong mayor. I don't. I. I just. Like, I can't see how making a municipality less democratic helps helps the average citizen. If a mayor, yes, it's true. A mayor is one vote. A mayor, uh, uh, you know, just like the premier and the prime minister are one vote in the House of Commons. That doesn't mean they don't have levers and other ways to exert influence. And if a mayor, uh, if there's a motion before council that a mayor wants passed and he he or she is unable to convince more than half the councillors elected that it's a good idea, well, maybe it shouldn't pass. It's one final thing I think I think we have to address. Uh, you're, you're on the the, uh, the uh, True North podcast and you know, the problem with that. Um, uh, but the, the subject of the 15-minute city came up and, and it kind of chuckled about this because it's something we did an episode on recently um but give us your thoughts on, on the 15 minute city you, you seem to suggest on 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 the true north podcast that you accepted the kind of view of this uh, uh, that's been going around since since kind of christmas time that this is you know this is an attempt to kind of lock people into uh, into into their neighborhoods uh, is that what you think uh so i understand that the goal is sensible, sensible densification, and that um, there are many positive uh, reasons to have 
to have conveniences close by. Um, uh, uh, having said that, I, if traffic filters turns into, um, uh, you know, uh, some kind of um, uh, bit barriers, traffic barriers, then I think, you know, they've, they'll, they'll have gone too far. But you, so you know I, that I mean, the suggestion I, in Oxford wasn't to lock people into their neighborhoods, right? You, you understand that point. Um, so I know that, yeah, I, 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 not to lock people in their neighborhoods, but to uh, uh, limit the number of the times that they could travel far and whatever. So or I, used to like live in, I used to live in Cambridge, I mean, a different city, but similar in a lot of ways in terms of Oxford yep. and Cambridge and all that stuff. Um, back, back in the 90s and um, back then I couldn't drive into into the center of town um, because it's a pedestrianized area uh, and uh, uh, most most times uh, of the week um, I wasn't allowed to drive in there because what would be crazy it would like it would completely you know the town was designed for horses and carts and, and well basically pedestrians cars didn't work but obviously you also needed times when traffic could get in so they could deliver goods and so people fill up their market stalls and that's exactly what's being suggested in oxford is that a city that is has massive uh, uh, um, transportation problems in terms of traffic um is saying well you know you can use this road any time of day you want but if you want to use this particular bridge at this time of day, you're going to, you have to pay for it. It's just congestion charging, which, which is used in cities all over the world and not, not particularly controversial. You can still go wherever you want. Just don't use that road because that road is really busy and we'd prefer it if you didn't. That's, and, and by the way, that has nothing to do with the 50-minute city concept. That's just traffic management. Right, uh, right. 50-minute city concept is simply the idea that it would be really nice if you live in a city, if you could walk to the most important things that you use day after day, like the corner shop or a swimming pool or the bank or whatever, um, within 15 minutes without having to get in your car, unless you really want to. And if you want to, get in your car. Sure. So see, is- two, two things. Uh, and one is that removing zoning, distri- if, if the goal is to have... Um, is to have more convenience, more more uh, mixed use zoning, um, more mid and high rise buildings, uh, uh, that that sort of thing. Um, better zoning is a is is to minimize congestion, uh, or sorry, to to increase densification sensibly. Uh, that's a good idea. Um, natural uh, densification on that score and multi multi use is all good. That's all good. Um, but when we start talking about limiting where people want to live because they don't mind driving a half an hour to get groceries or whatever, that's, I really don't think that that should happen. That's not, that's not, not what the 15 minute city philosophy is about. We, we didn't. No, no. I, but I, I do know that there's, there's a lot of judgment out there for you know, people who live in, you know, 98% of Canada is rural and mm-hmm. only 20% of the population lives in those mm-hmm. rural municipalities. Um, and these are folks who've chosen to mostly use their car to get places. And um, I, oh, I, I just... I, I, I hear you. Like I, my, my in-laws are all... Like they literally live in the middle of nowhere. Like their house <laughs> is in the middle of a field. Yeah. Nothing's around them for like half an hour. I yeah. understand that. Um. No, we're just we're, we're, and it's a it's a choice. So I, I just wouldn't. Um, actually, the the funniest thing I read about this was just a, a um, an off the cuff comment by um national. I think it was in the National Post, a journalist who said, "Well, they're trying to turn Edmonton into Manhattan," which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but I, anyway, so I I think we need to be realistic and we remember what the goals are, which is which are affordable housing, um, traffic calming, all of these things are fine. Uh, but when it crosses the line into, um, uh, uh, well, I, I don't know, it could, it has the potential uh, to cross over the line. And uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that happening so far, but I wouldn't want that to happen. And I, and I don't think people are silly who are, who are worried about it. I'm going to say something, Stella, from what you just described, 
you sound like you're in favor of the 15 minute city because that's what we're promoting. That's what it's promoting is like intensification, densification, walkability, and the choice of being able to walk to the corner store to pick up your milk and bread. Or if you want to go across town to get that, that really, the really good stuff, the really good bakery that we all know every city has, you can do that as well. And like, or the choice to live nowhere near a 15 minute city yeah, and to, to drive yeah. a half an hour to get a good yeah, coffee. That, nobody, nobody's saying, nobody's saying if you want to live as my in-laws do in the middle of nowhere, you're entitled to do that. This is Canada. Nobody can stop you from living wherever you want. We're just saying like the, the idea, the, the idea of the 15 minutes, it was just a goal. Like a, I don't even know if it's, if it's actual possible, possible given the way that we built our cities over the last yeah. 50 years. I, this is a pipe dream for a lot of us. I'm not entirely certain it's possible, but yeah. it's a nice goal to have. Um, but I am seeing that we're coming up on, a, on our time. So I'm going to pull a plug in a, on this one. Uh, but thank you very much for coming on. I'm, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do and, and to see what you come up with uh, over the next uh, over the next little bit. So thank you very much for coming on and uh, sharing uh, what Municipal Watch does uh, with us and our listeners. Thank you, Joel and Roland. And uh, I hope to be back. I hope that I... Um, do something interesting enough in the next uh, little while that you if, say, oh, let's have her back to talk about that. If you, well, if you do let us know and we will see if we can find a, uh, find a half an hour to, uh, to chat. Thank you. you I appreciate like it. I'll keep listening to your podcast. I Thank love you. It. Thank you. So much. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.